Thank you for listening to Tales from Witchhaven. This podcast is created by Dan Lee and Rodeo Whiter and produced by Rodiax. Hello, thanks for tuning in. I'm Jackson Thorne reporting to you from JT Auto Repairs for all your motoring needs. As always, I'm joined by co-host and published author Imelda Blackwood. Thank you, Jackson. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If this is the first time you've tuned in, congratulations, you've made it. On this public access radio show, we aim to uncover all of the mysteries of our sleepy little town and expose them for what they are. A dark conspiracy? A supernatural threat from the great beyond? Or just a big misunderstanding? This week's story began when the local newspaper started reporting a series of strange happenings at Witchhaven High. According to witness accounts, every now and again a student would freeze up as if gripped by some unspeakable terror. They would be overcome with fits of uncontrollable screaming and then suddenly collapse, unconscious, only to wake with no recollection of the incident. Now of course, living in Witchhaven, we are no strangers to this sort of occurrence, are we? Can you remember Mr Robert's pumpkins and the incident with the swimming pool? That is something this town will not be forgetting in a hurry. Mr Roberts, if you are listening, we want to wish you all the best and we hope that whatever happened to your tractor has been resolved. I remember my neighbour Sharon being petrified for two weeks after that. Again, Mr Roberts, if you are listening, please don't blame yourself. No one else in the town does. Now, if we could get back to this week's case... Of course. As I mentioned earlier, everyone who fell victim to this unnatural occurrence had no recollection of it. Therefore, it was very difficult to find out what actually happened to the students. So we decided that we'd better start by talking to people who had witnessed it firsthand, the teachers and the peers of those who were afflicted. There were only three teachers that would actually speak to us, but they didn't want to anger the headmaster of the school, so we're not going to use their real names. Oh, let's go with Pipsqueak, Cocoa and Milkshake. Why Pipsqueak, Cocoa and Milkshake? Well, at home I have three little koalas that sit on my desk, and that's what they're called. Okay. So we started talking, or trying to talk, to Pipsqueak, Coco and Milkshake. Sitting across from Milkshake in her office, slowly dunking biscuits into our tea, we were captivated by her account. It was a day like any other. A lazy summer breeze was wafting in through the window of Class 4, and the students were as attentive as any teenagers shut indoors on a sunny day. Their teacher had already split them into groups, and they each sat in clusters, working on their exercises. Of course, she knew that very little of what her class discussed actually related to the lesson, but the noise was manageable at a low roar, so she turned a blind eye and let them continue. That was when she had noticed the silence coming from the back table. Now, as we all know, the back table in the classroom is never silent, so to say that this was a very loud silence would be a fitting description. Milkshake told us that she looked over to the table and she saw one of the students looking straight towards the front of the classroom in complete horror, absolutely terrified of what it was they were looking at. Which of course scared the rest of the class into silence. Then suddenly the student started screaming and trying to scramble away further towards the back of the classroom. From Milkshake's description, it sounded like the student could see something that nobody else could almost as if they were entrapped in a waking night terror. Or something even more sinister. Quite right. 
Rumours had started spreading around the school that perhaps these happenings were the work of witchcraft. We interviewed the other two teachers, and they both had similar accounts. In Coco's classroom, a similar incident took place. In the middle of a class discussion, one rather vocal student suddenly broke off mid-sentence, as if paralysed with fear. The rest of the class backed away, trying to discern what was terrifying her so. But there was nothing there. The girl just started screaming and scrambling away, tripping over desks in a frenzied attempt at escape, until suddenly, reaching a crescendo of shrieking terror, she fell silent and collapsed, slumping over her desk, completely unconscious. Of course, when she came to, she had no memory of what had happened to her, or what she might have been scared of. So after speaking to the teachers, our next step was to investigate the students. We didn't really get much luck there, did we? Not at all. None of the students had any recollection of what had happened to them. They couldn't remember seeing anything out of the ordinary and certainly couldn't remember screaming or scrambling towards the back of the classroom. And their friends and classmates said exactly the same as the teachers. Everyone had the same story. Save a few students telling tall tales of witches singling out the less studious of their peers. That's right. At first we ignored it. We both remembered how rumours could get out of hand among friends at school. But then, looking back over the afflicted students, we started to see a correlation. All of the kids who had been affected had below-average grades, and according to their teachers, they were all regulars in detention. We decided we had to see it for ourselves. In order to get a sense of what we were dealing with, we had to be in the room when one of these outbursts took place. So we spent the next two days traversing the classrooms in a bid to witness an unnatural occurrence. They were the two most boring days of my adult life. I have no idea how I survived getting an education. I'm surprised you made it through primary school the amount you were fidgeting. Oi! I wasn't a bad student. I'm just more of a right-brained thinker. Anyway. Yes. One thing that was bothering me while we were trying to find out what was going on was this. If it was witchcraft and the sisterhood were up to their old tricks again, what would they want with misbehaving school kids in particular? On our second day at Witchhaven High we discovered that these incidents were affecting one particular student more than others. Young Tristan Graves, son of Abigail Graves of our local coven, was receiving the full brunt of the school's collective teenage angst. We spoke to both Abigail and Tristan, but that again was another dead end. Tristan was just a quiet kid, and if Abigail was up to anything, she was sure good at hiding it. We weren't prepared to write the sisters off completely just yet but we weren't in a position to accuse them either. We did, however, manage to catch one of these events live towards the end of our second day. Jackson and I were ready to give up hope. The day was dragging on, and of course, the next lesson we decided to sit in on was maths. We'd been avoiding the maths block so far, but if we were going to discover the cause of these outbursts, we had to get an even view of the whole school. So with heavy eyelids, we stationed ourselves at the back of the maths classroom. The lesson had already been underway for 20 minutes, and I cannot tell you what it was about, because quite frankly, they seem to have changed it since I was in school. Yeah, when I was at school, they had changed it from what my dad had been taught. Seriously, how can they change maths? Maths is maths. Numbers don't change. But all of a sudden, the air once heavy with boredom was now buzzing with a sense of unease. Somewhere in the front row... Right beneath the teacher's nose, a student had frozen. He was a rather boisterous young man, who had been stationed at the front so that the teacher could keep a better eye on him. 
At this point, however, I think the teacher was beginning to regret that decision. The students slowly stood up, completely transfixed with one corner of the room. A startled murmur rippled across the classroom as other students sank down in their seats, shrinking away from what was inevitably about to happen. The teacher turned to the student and waved his arms in futility, demanding that the student sit down at once. But of course, the young man could not hear him. Instead, he began to scream. Harrowing cries shattered the silence and left the other students reeling back in shared horror. Jackson and I were up like a shot, running towards the front of the classroom. I stared the boy dead in the face, but it was as if he couldn't see me at all. His eyes, watery with the sheer strain of his deathly screams, looked on with a fearful precision at the corner of the room. The boy was not vacant. It was as if he could see something coming towards him. The jaws of hell snapping before him as he stumbled back, tripping over his chair and scrambling across the desk behind him. Jackson, standing in the corner, examined the whole area for anything that could have triggered this reaction. But there was nothing. No conceivable cause for this boy's sheer terror. Pure, unbridled pandemonium had descended on the classroom. The other students were leaping up out of their chairs, none daring to go near the corner where Jackson stood. The teacher's startled commands died out quickly as he too joined in the hysteria that swept the classroom. Chairs were overturned, tables knocked aside, one girl ran shrieking out into the hall. And then, as suddenly as it had started, the screaming stopped. The boy who had sparked this episode fell limply to the floor, his yelps of terror rendered quiet by his unconscious state. Jackson and I met eyes, written upon each of our faces, was a complete loss for words. That kid was scared. He was absolutely terrified. I did think maybe it was one of Witchhaven's ghosts, haunting certain students, but then the question was why? None of these students were related at all, apart from their detention habits and slipping grades. They didn't all hang out together. They weren't even all in the same year group. That was when it dawned on us. If these fits of wanton terror were only affecting the struggling students, it must have been the school. Not that the school was haunted, but something must be happening at the school to make the students act this way. Something the staff must know about. We wanted to see the headmaster. This in itself was a difficult task. As far as I know, no one had ever seen the headmaster of Witchhaven High. When I went to this school as a student, I never saw him, and I was pretty sure the same headmaster still worked there. I spoke to the school secretary to see if we could book an appointment with the headmaster. Upon inquiring through the sliding window into her office, Mrs Philpott slowly reached a pink-sleeved arm under her desk and pressed what I can only assume was some sort of panic button, because an orange light sitting atop the hatch began to cycle and bleat, and as quick as a flash, heavy corrugated shutters slammed down, covering the window completely. I did try calling through the shutters, but something told me she wasn't interested in speaking to me. I never imagined a school office would have steel shutters like those. I should mention that Imelda and I left the school after that and tried again the next day. Exactly the same thing happened again. Orange flashing lights, a siren, and then shutters slammed. Our next course of action was to shadow the afflicted students for a day. We wanted to see if they acted out of the ordinary. I was beginning to lose interest in this particular line of inquiry, until something strange happened at lunchtime. I noticed it when I was following my student in the lunch queue. He walked up to the cafeteria counter, the same as everybody else, but instead of just picking up a plate and helping himself, 
The dinner lady gave him a plate from behind the counter that already had food prepared on it. The exact same phenomenon occurred with my student. She walked up to the dinner lady and was given a pre-prepared plate from behind the counter. We watched the other students reach a counter and help themselves to the trays of... slop. Only the afflicted students were handed plates over the counter. It had to be something to do with the school dinners. That was the only explanation. We paid the secretary a final visit. However, this time, just before she could push her panic button, Jackson caught her attention. It's in the school dinners, isn't it? I said as she was just reaching for that bloody button. That stopped her. You did say it with a certain gravitas, I must say. Thank you. After I managed to get her attention, I asked her again, Is it in the school dinners? And she nodded. Then we demanded, for the final time, to speak with that infernal headmaster. We asked her where his office was. Then Mrs Philpot started crying. She told us that she didn't know where his office was. At first I didn't believe her. How can you work as a secretary in a school and not know where the headmaster's office is, especially working there for as long as she had? But she didn't know. Teary-eyed, she pointed to a slot in the wall roughly the size of a letterbox. She said that that was the only line of communication that anyone had ever had with him. All admin was sent down that chute and all admin was spewed back up from it. She said the headmaster is very secretive and very stern. He demands a full admin report every Monday morning without fail. I asked her what might happen if the report was late, but this only made her cry harder. We needed to find out where that chute led to. At this point, we took it upon ourselves to enter her office via the door beside the hatch. She buzzed us in between blows of her oozing nose. I studied the hatch, peering into its elusive depths. All I could tell was that it led down. Down to where, I did not know, because we were on the ground floor, and according to the staff, there was no basement. But nonetheless, the chute led down. We searched the corridors for a while, looking for hidden doors or clues or just something that may help us get down to the basement. We weren't having much luck until Jackson spotted the caretaker wandering out of his office. We both looked at each other with hope glinting in our eyes and rushed over to speak to him. We asked him if he knew how to get to the basement. He was so dazed by our question that he actually gave us a straight answer. The only man-sized entrance to the basement was a trapdoor concealed under a rug in his previous office. Fortunately for us, his last office had been cleared out and sealed off due to the vampire bats in the bell tower. That was where our destiny lay. Somewhere in those subterranean depths, hidden below the condemned bell tower, we gathered our wits and prepared to meet the headmaster. We decided it would be best to go down there after the school had closed, just in case our confrontation with the headmaster stirred up any unexpected consequences. So we went back to my place to gather supplies and wait for the end of the school day. We snacked on some garlic bread before we left, so as to deter any vampire bats that might cross our path. Then we packed a rucksack full of rope, bolt cutters, two head torches, a book of matches, tea bags, milk and biscuits. All essentials when facing unknown foes. At this point, I'd just like to apologise for my absence in the garage this week. Because it was happening in the school, we had to do this investigation in the daytime, not in the evening after the shop closed. So those of you who did call in will have been served by Gareth, my intern. I'd just like to apologise for any mishaps. I'm all in favour of werewolves having equal rights, but claws really aren't the best thing when it comes to fixing cars. I'll repair any scratches caused by Gareth next week, free of charge. Anyway, once the tolling of the school bell rang from the tower, 
and the vampire bats awakened in a shrieking flurry, we knew it was time to return to the school. I've always found it weird being at school after hours. Within half an hour of the bell ringing, it turns to a ghost town. By the time we got there, it was around four o'clock, and the last couple of stragglers were leaving in dribs and drabs. We made our way towards the tower with trepidation. We broke through the boards nailed to the door and found ourselves in what used to be the caretaker's office. Cobwebs now hung from the many hooks where the caretaker must have hung his tools. There was a narrow exit that led to a set of stairs heading up towards the belfry, and right in the middle of the room was a trap door. It was obvious which route we needed to take. The trap door was predictably padlocked shut, with several loops of chain holding it firmly in place. But these bonds were no match for our bolt cutters. We each strapped a torch to our heads and wished each other good luck as we made our way down into the abyss below. I had expected the kind of rickety wooden staircase come ladder that is often associated with trapdoors, but instead we were met with an ancient stone staircase that spiralled down into the earth. Cobwebs clung to the narrow railing, rendering it useless. Neither of us wanted to steady ourselves on it, for fear that a fat, juicy spider might fancy us for a snack. So instead, we tread slowly down into the all-encompassing darkness, careful not to lose footing on the uneven stone beneath our feet. Eventually, a light began to glow from below us, and when we reached solid ground, we realised that it was coming from torches hanging on the walls. They were robust medieval things, braced by brackets, casting long flickering shadows across all of the dripping walls. The floor here was damp, and we became increasingly aware of the sound of our footsteps echoing through the stretching chasm. We could hear the sounds of some unknown creatures scuttling here and there, always just out of sight. That's when I realised that we must be coming up to the place right below the secretary's office, where the letterbox led down to. I knew it couldn't be far, if my bearing served me well, and we had been walking in the right direction ever since we had reached the bottom of the stairs. Jackson was right. Ahead of us was a great entranceway hewn from the rock that lined the passage, and inside was more of that terrible flickering light. We approached slowly, each of us turning off our torches, afraid that we might alert whatever lived down here of our presence. And stepping slowly through the gloom, clinging to the walls and peering through the entranceway, we were glad of our decision to opt for stealth. The room through the entranceway was cavernous. Flaming torches hung at intervals around the walls, and in the middle, stacks upon stacks of paper sat like silent skyscrapers in the flickering half-light. There were filing cabinets too, too many to count, and right in the midst of that paperwork monument was a single desk. We watched in silence. We could see a postbox, twin to the one in the secretary's office, hanging from a crude pipe from the ceiling. This must have been where the headmaster got his paperwork from. We watched aghast as the shadowy figure hunched over the desk, sealed envelope after envelope with his many limbs. Then, having completed the stack which sat beside him on his desk, he slipped off of his chair and made his way to the postbox. He did not walk upright like you or I. Instead, he seemed to fall onto his front, his body rippling as his many legs scuttled towards his destination. Then, reaching the postbox, his back arched with an audible cracking as he stood on four of his hind legs to post the envelopes. He put them inside the postbox, pressed a button, and with a prompt sound of suction, the letters could be heard clattering up the pipe. That's when he turned and saw us. He hissed and ran back behind his desk. 
Next thing we know, he's throwing envelopes at us, which doesn't seem like much now, but if you've ever seen those magicians who can throw a playing card through wood or something, well, it was like that. One of them caught me on the arm. We knew now that we were in real danger. Needless to say, the headmaster was not human. In the flickering gloom, it was difficult to tell exactly what he was. All we knew was that we needed to find safety. My arm really hurt. We were running around the room trying to dodge the projectiles coming towards us. Then we could see streams of slime spraying from the centre of the room and hitting the walls around us. Every surface it touched seemed to fizz and hiss. The headmaster was firing streams of acid from his tail. We managed to hide behind some filing cabinets just long enough that we could figure out what to do. The tea bags and milk weren't really much help there, were they? Not really, no. The acid had started to eat its way through the filing cabinets and was going to expose us any second. That's when I was struck by inspiration. I switched on my head torch and its powerful LED beam pierced the half-light like a lightning bolt. I had no idea what you were doing. I'm sorry for scaring you. At that moment, Imelda leapt out from behind the filing cabinet and looked straight at the headmaster. I shouted for her to come back to safety, but then I realised that she didn't need to. I could hear the headmaster letting out high whimpering sounds and suddenly the acid stopped firing and everything went still. Jackson came out of hiding to join me. He put on his head torch and together we watched as the headmaster cowered behind his desk. He spoke with this horrible scratchy voice. He asked us what we were doing down there. How did we find his lair? Now that we had him under control, we could demand that he explain himself. For one thing, I wanted to know why a headmaster needed a lair. We asked him what they were putting in the school dinners and why, and his antennae seemed to droop with shame. He explained that the school's average exam results were suffering, and he had to do something to maintain Witchhaven High's standards. He had been running the school for almost 70 years, and in all that time the school's rating had never dropped below an excellent. They were singling out the struggling students and feeding them some kind of formula designed to increase concentration and brain activity but it seemed that its side effects included fits of paralytic fear. We told their headmaster it couldn't continue. This harebrained scheme would be more damaging to the school's reputation than a few lagging grades. At this point, I decided to give him a piece of my mind and tell him exactly how a headmaster should run a school. Not hiding away in some office away from the real everyday challenges, but out there, in the classrooms, in the corridors, where he can see how the students are engaging with their classes and he can face the school's pitfalls head-on. It was quite spectacular, really. Imelda straight up told the giant insect off, and he just took it. In the end, after a long discussion about the headmaster's sensitivity to light, we resolved that he would have the textiles classes design a special light-retardant suit so that he would be able to come up to the surface and do his job properly. As for the poison school dinners, all of the formula was diluted and disposed of safely. Tristan Graves' name was cleared, and the students of Witchhaven High are safe once more. Did we ever find out what the students were seeing when they blacked out? No, we didn't, and I don't think we ever will. Well, my advice is to keep your wits about you, wherever you may be eating. You never know what they're putting in your food until it's too late. It's almost time for us to say goodnight, but before we go, as always, we have some community announcements. Mrs Weeder has agreed to host the rose-grown competition from now on, under the condition that she's not expected to tame them herself. Mrs Clitheroe wants the town to know that the screams coming from her bakery in the middle of the night are nothing to worry about, 
and the rain once again was spotted falling upwards in the community orchard. So don't take the red apples from the trees, only the small yellow ones. It's once again coming up to the witching hour, so we will wish you well for the night ahead, and just remember, even the most insignificant phenomena can harbour the greatest of secrets. Thank you for listening to Tales from Witchhaven. This podcast was brought to you from the minds of Dan Lee and Rodeo Writer, produced by Rodiax. If you have enjoyed your stay, please like, subscribe and follow us as we explore more mysteries from this sleepy little town. Beware, the witching hour draws near.